Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, Brandon here, and a happy, happy new year to you. I can't believe it's 2019 already. I uh, took off the last couple weeks, and that's why you haven't seen any new podcasts. But I promise you I have a lot of material recorded. I just didn't have time to edit as I took the last few weeks off to spend with my family. So um, it's 2019. I'm back in the office. I'm back at it and have a lot of great stuff coming your way. Before I talk about today's episode, I wanted to mention that I've got a ton of books I can give away. So uh, there's a couple different ways you can do um, like enter to win a book. And that's to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can tweet at us and you know link to the podcast. Uh, LinkedIn is always a good way to share. Uh, make sure you tag me so I know that you're, you're sharing. But uh, anyways, you do any of those, those things. I'll enter you for a book drawing and I've got several to give away. There's also a survey in the show notes as well that you can click on and I'll, I'll always do book drawings for that as well. So today's episode, I have a conversation with Joyce Maroney. She's the executive director at the Kronos Workforce Institute. And they, they came out with a report called the case for a four-day work week, nearly half of employees worldwide could do their jobs in five hours or less each day. And so really this report has a lot of data based on survey responses from people all across the world talking about how they can do their job in a certain amount of time. Uh, a lot of people said anywhere from one to, to five hours they can get their job done if they had less interruptions. And so Joyce and I have a discussion about this data and we kind of pose the question of could this actually work or not and I think you're going to really love what she has to say about it there's a lot of really cool data and I'm also going to put the link to the actual report so that you can follow along with the conversation anyways enjoy today's episode and again there's a lot of good stuff coming your way have an amazing start to your 2019 Hey, Joyce, it's so great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Kronos, the Workforce Institute, came out with a report, uh, the case for a four-day work week. Nearly half of employees worldwide could do their jobs in five hours or less each day. And I wanted to, to pull a couple stats that I thought were really interesting from the report. So it said 45% of full-time workers say it would take five hours each day to do their work if uninterrupted. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. 72% said they could work four days or less per week if their pay remained the same. And 71% said work interferes with their personal life. So I think like when you look at some of these stats, and you, this report is packed with a ton of stats, which I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about. 
But this this case for the four day work week, how did this come about? Why did you guys create the report? Uh, and then let's let's kind of dive in after that. Sure. Well, we did the report to dig a little bit into uh, people's attitudes towards their jobs and towards their managers. So. This is um, this is part of and the first release actually from mm. a larger omnibus global research um, survey that we did. So there there will be subsequent um, uh, tranches, if you will, of this data um, released in the future. But this first part really focuses on how much time are people actually spending doing work at work versus other things that take them away from what they feel are their core jobs. And so, um, while we weren't necessarily looking for four day work week, we weren't looking to prove or disprove the possibility of a four day work week, but given what people said about how much time it actually takes them to do what they would consider to be the core part of their job, it certainly points in a direction that says perhaps many people could do their job in less than what we now think of as the standard 40 hour work week. Yeah. And it's funny because there's almost 50% of the people uh, that you must have surveyed. It said it take them five hours each day to do their work if uninterrupted. So that, that means that there's a bigger issue at play here. People could do their job in a shorter amount of time or even be more productive if they're just not interrupted. So it sounds like there's a bigger issue in the workplace. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people and, you know, we were interviewing people who uh, have a variety of different jobs. And one thing we always like to try and pay attention to at the Workforce Institute is nuances of difference between strategies for people who can do their jobs remotely. Like, you know, there are plenty of people in the workforce who can potentially do their job at home on a laptop or on the phone. But the majority of workers in the workforce um, are shift workers of some kind whose jobs require them to to be present yep. to do their job. So, you know, as we continue to talk about the data, we'll want to kind of pick out those differences a bit. But, yeah, it's, it's sort of startling what proportion of this survey uh, population said they could do their job in fewer than five hours. I'd really like to know more about the 4% who said they could do their job in less than an hour a day because... I'd love to know what their strategies are for filling the rest of the time. Um, <laughs> boring. We, yeah, boring. Yeah, really. These must be real killer jobs. But um, we did ask people, you know, what is it that they are spending their time on that isn't uh, what they would see as part of their core job? So um, 86% of folks said they lose time on work-specific tasks that are unrelated to their core job. And, uh, you know, some of the, um, you know, the bigger time sucks for people were 40% said they lose an hour plus each day on administrative tasks. And those would be things like uh, data entry or running reports or just things that they feel are record keeping kinds of activities that aren't necessarily contributing to value for their organization. But people also cited things like fixing a problem that was not caused by me. Um, meetings, of course, lots of people hate, hate meetings, email, um, and just, you know, sort of the unexpected interruption of you know, things that, you know, my coworker was supposed to do, but they didn't. So, you know, that extra work fell back on me. 
that 86% number is it's startling. And it's, it's interesting because my mind automatically wants to go to what are people doing to waste their time? Is it, is it not just the administrative things, but are they are they being distracted from you know social media or whatever they may be doing that's not really part of their job, but just just being distracted and not going deep in their work? Is it is it an employer issue? Is it or is it just a, a work like a workflow issue for an employee to just really try to figure out on their own? Well, I think it's potentially all of those things. Yeah. So you know, I think part of it is. In a lot of organizations, um, work gets done in a certain way um, that, and it's been done a certain way for a long time. And sometimes organizations aren't periodically reflecting on, gee, is this really still the best way to do this thing? And and there's, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in my career about, you know, leading change and change management. And a quick story slash joke I always tell people is that, uh, you know, a young woman asks her mother, why do we always cut the end of the ham off before we put it in the pan and cook it? And the mother says, you know, I'm just doing that. My mother did it that way. And she asked her mother, well, why did you cut the end of the ham off uh, before you put it in the pan? And the woman says, well, the pan I had to cook hams in was too short for the average ham. So I just, (laughs) you know, so... It's a, it's a funny story, but um, I think the bottom line is a lot of organizations are, they don't find it easy to change either the way they do work, so more the sort of process decisions that get made or the tools that they're using to do work. Because often, you know, you get something, it works well enough and people don't necessarily see value in interrupting something that works well enough. But when you the cumulative impact of not revisiting and looking for opportunities to change things up can lead to pretty significant inefficiencies in a workplace. Um, So I think that's one thing. Um, I think another thing is, frankly, yes, on the social media and just the ubiquity of mobile devices. Mm -hmm. Most people have the internet in their pocket now, right? So, you know, in this survey where we asked about things that, you know, contribute to distracting me at work, social media is in there. So people say, people who said there were distractions at work, something like 8 to 10% of the distractions were represented by social media. So 8 to 10% is the bigger part of an hour a day that I might be spending texting and checking email or, you know, checking Facebook or, you know, whatever, Instagram, whatever it is that, you know, is my favorite distraction. So that's part of it that, you know, is within the power of the individual worker to control. But things like the processes I'm, can, I'm expected to follow is part of it. Talked about that already. Things like my employer perhaps hasn't made capital improvements in the environment that might make me more efficient. Um, So, you know, I work for a software company. So, of course, we would say that, you know, um, investing in the right kind of technology can certainly help. But it's not always just hardware and software. It just can be literally the equipment that you use in your environment that, you know, your employer hasn't seen fit to to upgrade. Um, It's also cultural. So... You know, we asked in this survey and we have asked in other surveys about issues like fatigue and burnout. So in this survey, 71% of these workers said they did generally get accomplished what they needed to every day, but 
79% of these respondents said that they suffer at least some degree of burnout at work. Burnout meaning, you know, it's beyond fatigue. I'm mm -hmm. disengaged with my job. I'm not really engaged with my coworkers. Um, you know, I'm less, I'm having a lesser experience. I'm, I'm more likely to leave the company. And the people who said that they um, were suffering from some degree of burnout cited things like not enough time in the day to get the job done. So this is kind of interesting because yeah. we're hearing both things, right? I could do the core responsibilities of my job in less than eight hours a day, but the workload that I am, many of these respondents are saying, but the workload I'm expected to accomplish is unreasonable. Um, so it was 26% said that. That was the top reason, unreasonable workload. Um, but they also mentioned not enough time in the day to get the job done, of course, and they've also citing these things that interrupt them, lack of skilled coworkers. So if, you know, if I feel like I'm picking up the slack for people around me yeah. and a negative workplace culture. So I think that the negative workplace culture is something that I think a lot of companies pay lip service to our employees are our most significant asset. And, you know, we want, we have a great culture. We want to have a great culture. We want to win great place to work awards. Well, that doesn't happen by wishing. So if, if your culture is part of your problem, that's a much bigger systemic problem for an organization um, to solve. So, I mean, I can talk a little bit about like, what does it take to solve a culture problem? But I think that that's also in there. If I feel like my workplace is toxic uh, at worst or unsupportive of me um, at best, then I'm not going to be doing my best work for that employer. I want to hone in on the, the folks that uh, responded with, they, they have too much work to get it done in 40 hours. You, you cited some of the causes, but uh, what's the solution to that? Is it... Is it really figuring out what things that aren't part of the core job and getting rid of those things? Is it is it hiring more people? Like what is it giving them more money? Like yeah. what what are the, is well, it all I the mean, above? Yeah, people. It's funny. People always, um, you know, pe employers will often go to the the compensation piece and yeah, um, compensation in in this data. Compensation is one of the top issues that can uh, engage, it's in the top five, but it's not the top issue, but that can cause these issues of, of disengagement. But really, I think compensation is table stakes. So if you're not market, uh, you know, if you're not in the right market um, price point for the kinds of people you're, you're looking for, looking to retain, um, you know, you're, you're already losing before you even start. But compensation is a proxy for my employer values what I'm doing. So if people sure. feel undervalued, not just by their compensation, but by am I getting attention from my manager? Is my manager helping me understand what my objectives are? Is my manager arming me um, adequately uh, to get my job done and removing distractions as much as possible? So I, I think that things that organizations can do are to be very uh, focused and really serious about taking a look at how are we setting objectives? Are the objectives that we're setting reasonable? In a time like this when you know we're both in the U.S., so speaking to the U.S., 
lowest unemployment since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, most organizations are sucking wind trying to hire enough of the right kinds of people to get work done. I mean, how often have you walked into a restaurant in the last year where there's clearly lots of empty tables, but they can't seat you because they don't have enough servers there? Or, you know, yep, you can wander exactly. a department store forever trying to find somebody who can help you. So I think that employers need to work with employees to get real about the amount of work that needs to be done. And, you know, sometimes the answer may be to hire more people if you can find them. Um, But sometimes it's really um, getting very clear on, gee, we may have a bunch of these, you know, hams in the pan problems that we really need to dissect and figure out is there a better way to get this work done than just doing what we've always been doing? I think um, as you're looking at those kinds of process um, questions, you do also need to be looking at things like, are we really being smart about the skills that are required to do these jobs well? Because sometimes these jobs become more complex over time, employees start to struggle in the jobs because we hired to a particular profile, but the profile required for success has changed. So that's that's a thing. And that's a thing you hear a lot of these days around, um, you know, the rise of artificial intelligence um, tools uh, in the workplace. And, you know, are people going to lose their jobs as a result? Well, that issue is less about whole categories of jobs getting wiped out than it is about um, certain aspects of jobs potentially getting replaced by AI. But that should be an assist to people as long as they have the skills to leverage it. So I think employers need to be looking at, uh, you know, investments in workforce development, like helping build the skills of the people I already have versus thinking I need to wipe the slate clean and go out, you know, and hire um, completely different kinds of people is is another way that they can cope, especially in this climate of, of super low unemployment. And I think that employers need to get serious about the cultural aspects of what's going on in their organization. So checking in, you know, in a rigorous way with employees on a regular basis about, well, what is it like to work here? How much do you trust the leadership? What kinds of support are you getting from your manager? Um, What kinds of development opportunities are important to you? And if you're going to bother to ask the questions, you got to be serious about investing in the answers. You made the point earlier that if people could just focus on their core job, they'd be able to get it done in you know five hours or less. Some some people said one hour, and I imagine like obviously if you get rid of the time wasters, uh, but mostly the administrative tasks, I think are a burden to people. Like whether it's email or follow ups or meetings and things like that. So my question to you would be, if you can shed the administrative tasks, which sounds on the surface, like a great idea. Like I want to get rid of all my administrative <laughs> tasks, but who does that, who does that go to? Because my mind would be like, you were actually just talking about technology. If we can use these AI systems and other software tools to our advantage to make us more efficient and, and release some of those administrative tasks, that seems like the, the go-to solution versus just hiring people to take on our administrative tasks. Because your, your point, unemployment is low. It's hard to find talent, hard to find people to, to take on that work. So what's, what do you think? Well, 
again, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a fan of tech because, you know, I've worked in tech for 36 <laughs> years. Yeah. Um, but certainly, you know, if you bring it down to some of the most basic issues, so let's, let's talk about hourly workers and some of the issues that their, you know, leadership is going to um, struggle with. One of those issues is scheduling people. So, you know, we've got a climate in which what workers really value a lot is flexibility in their lives. Um, you know, they've got child care, they've got parent care, they want to coach the kids' sports team, they get sick. Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why people may have a hard time showing up at work at a, at a particular date and time, but their employers need them to show up at a particular date and time. So, you know, one um, for hourly workers, scheduling software that helps leaders understand what people's shift preferences are, um, keeps track of when they are starting to hit overtime thresholds, keeps track of whether or not, think in a healthcare environment or a public safety environment, whether or not the people that you're trying to plug into a shift have the requisite certifications for doing that work. If you're trying to do that on uh, you know a piece of paper or you're trying to do that with your own homegrown spreadsheet, that is incredibly time consuming for an administrative perspective and isn't necessarily going to get you the results that you need. So a better way, you still got to cover the shifts. And especially when you're talking about things like healthcare and public safety, these are 24 seven jobs, right? Or 24 seven staffing challenges to address. So using technology that can also incorporate things like my preferences, my certifications, historical staffing patterns. You know, if I'm in hospitality, uh, weather may have a big impact on when my hotel rooms are full or not. So, uh, when I am in retail, we know weather has a big uh, challenge, but Black Friday is going to be very different from, you know, the two days before Thanksgiving. So there are tools out there that can remove a lot of the individual, you know, artistry and guesswork um, from these exercises and not only make the employer more efficient and successful, but also make the outcomes more palatable um, to employees who are looking for that flexibility. And then, you know, add in elements like make things like accepting a shift or shift swapping between employees possible from my mobile phone. Um, those are big wins for employees. And, you know, they are things that the technology can support for the employer. So, you know, those are some very specific examples, but I think the key things to keep in mind right now are employees have a lot of choices. Employees really value flexibility in their lives. Um, and that includes people who have to be present to do their jobs and whatever you can do to create those opportunities and flexibility for people within your organization are going to help them be more loyal to your organization. And the other thing is, another thing people really value is opportunities to build new skills and opportunities to advance. So, you know, that's another thing that I think employers sometimes give short shrift to, but the more that the manager is talking to the employee about, well, what do you want to do next? What do you want to do differently? How can we help you get there? Those are also things that are going to enhance that employee's experience and thereby their loyalty to your organization. 
with the title of your report being the case for a four-day work week, and I know it's really catchy, and I, I think that four-day work week thing has been thrown around a lot, and I know uh, countries, other countries are, are really starting to implement that. Do you think it's what people want? I mean, you made the point that there's a lot of work to be done, so is that even possible? And do people want that? Yeah. And what's well, it going to take? I think people people want the flexibility. So we actually asked the question outright, you know, if your pay remained constant, how many days would you work each week? And so uh, 4% said none. So I don't know how that would work. But the <laughs> but 37%, if my pay remained constant. Now, I think the subtext there, and I'm not sure it was incorporated into the question was, and you still had to do the same workload. Um, but 37% said they'd prefer a four-day work week. Interestingly enough, 29% still said they would prefer a five-day work week. And uh, one interesting outlier was India, where they were willing to work six days a week for the same pay. So Insane. Yeah, wow. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but again, we, you know, we weren't necessarily um, you know, anticipating some of these answers. But I think that a lot of it comes back to how busy people are outside of work, the demands on their time, things that they want to do, things that they have to do. So the idea of having that extra day a week to address the stuff that I'm responsible for outside of my work responsibilities, um, I think that that's where that's coming from. And I think it just plays back to that general theme of if I could work with my employer to have more flexibility to address the, these other things I need to address, that's going to be a win for me. Um, and sometimes employers get very worried about that, but I will give you one Kronos example here. Two years ago, we rolled out unlimited vacation time. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, a lot of people are very skeptical about a policy like that. And how does that really work? Certainly within our workplace, uh, a lot of managers were like, wait a minute, how, how can I possibly manage this if I don't have uh, a, an official policy limit that I can point to, right? And the answer back to those managers was, first and foremost, a lot of training and change management before this actually took effect, but really a reminder that, hey, your, your responsibility as a manager has always been to have conversations with your employees about whether their requests for time off were supportable given whatever the responsibilities of your of your group are right now. And so there was a lot of support and coaching required to get, you know, a fair swath of managers kind of over the hump of, wow, let's just like tumbleweeds will be rolling down the halls here and I won't be able to get anything done. So it really was more reinforcement of you should be having these conversations whether there's an arbitrary limit or not. What happened over the course of two years um, in terms of this concern about, oh, my God, people will just, you know, be out all the time, is that before we started this, our, like, uh, so speaking for the U.S. only, our entry level uh, paid time off was three weeks a year. So three weeks of vacation and then, you know, plus sick time, plus the, the federal holidays. And most people were not using a full three weeks of time off a year before we started this. Two years later, people are using two to, I think on average, two to two and a half days more per year of paid time off. So even though it's an unlimited, you know, air quotes, 
we still ask people to, you know, report that time off so that we have the metrics. So the truth is people are still not necessarily using a full three weeks of paid time off, you know, that variable paid time off a year. Um, They are using more than they were using before, but employee engagement in that time has also risen. Um, So, and we, we have very, very high, uh, you know, best in class kind of employee engagement to begin with. That wasn't the only variable that changed during these last two years. But the other thing we changed in concert with that was holding managers accountable for the, their relationships and their management skills with their employees in a much more explicit way. So we actually have something we call a manager effectiveness index that's calculated twice a year based on employee surveys. And that is used as a performance metric in terms of giving managers performance feedback, but they are held accountable to improving their, and what we call the MEI score, if they're underperforming in that part of their job. So we're saying to employees, you deserve a great manager. And we're saying to managers, functional expertise in your role is not what makes you a great manager. It's important, it's good to have, but we believe that managing, coaching, developing people, that is uh, a significant part of your role, the most significant part of your role as a manager. And we're gonna manage your performance in that regard and hold you accountable for it. So I think that that manager-employee relationship that's built on trust, that enables candid conversations about when I need time off and why mm-hmm. is really a basis for all this other stuff being able to work successfully. I think that's such a great point and well said. I, I think what this this report does is it really obviously outlines a ton of data around what people want, uh, how they feel about their work. But I think it opens up the dialogue between employer and employee about what is it that you want out of your work? What's bogging you down? And how can we make this work to where you get to enjoy life the way you want to and enjoy your work the way you want to, but also get the work done and be productive? And I think it it, it is a one-to-one dialogue, right? It's not, There's no one size fits all like, uh, okay, everybody's now going to work four days a, a week. Uh, that, I think productivity wise, it probably just wouldn't work. But if you managers talk to their employees about what is it that you want and let's try to make something work. I mean, is that how you would kind of frame I, it up I, too? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a good conclusion. I, you know, you see legislation in different parts of the mm-hmm. U S and different parts of the world where they're trying to like mandate a four day work week. I mean, even <laughs> yeah. in, in, France. I mean, one France has had a legislated 35-hour work week for a while, right? For a number of years, 42% of our French respondents said they'd take a 20% pay cut in return for a four-day work week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that the four-day, the idea of flexibility and being at work fewer hours a week is appealing to a lot of people. But I think mandating a four-day work week or making it a sweeping proclamation across an organization is a pretty blunt instrument that might not get you uh, to the to the end game you're looking for. And I think some of the case studies out there about, you know, wow, we went to a four-day work week and everybody got a lot more productive, I think are not necessarily jobs in which, again, it's this presence thing of, you know, if I can do my job on my laptop and I can be super productive for eight hours without interruptions, well, maybe I can do everything I need to do for my organization in four days. But if you're running a 24 by 7 police department, you know, you can't necessarily compress that, that 
work for people into fewer hours because coverage is part of the equation. Joyce, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, take us home here. What's the what's the parting um, wisdom that you want to, to provide listeners and any like links or resources you want to point people to as we wrap up here? Sure. Um, you know, we've we've done lots of research over the years um, that similar similar to this topic. So you can uh, you can find our blog post and podcasts at uh, workforceinstitute.org. Um, and I think in general on this topic, the, the key takeaway is talk to your people about what they value most and, um, you know, have, have some honesty and integrity around pursuing solutions uh, to the places where there are gaps between what they value most in terms of workforce benefits and what you're currently providing. I think, I think that having that trusted conversation be a two-way conversation with your employees will go a long way. Uh, to getting the kind of, of, you know, loyalty and productivity you're looking for. Joyce Maroney, thanks for coming on the podcast. Been a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.